as Christians in America especially, is we don't understand a lot of the cultural references that are in the Bible. The Bible was written by Jews to other Jews in the beginning, right? And so imagine we're telling stories about us as Americans, and we sang, they all got up and they sang the Star Spangled Banner, and then the game started, right? We all know what the Star Spangled Banner is, but if I was an early Jew, would I understand what the Star Spangled Banner is today? No. So somebody would have to come in culture and explain what that means. Or if we said, instead of the Star Spangled Banner, they sang the National Anthem. Well, what is that? Right? And so there are things that, as, as they wrote, they didn't write certain things because all the Jews in the time period would have understood that aspect of it because they had followed those same rituals over and over throughout their whole lives. And it was traditions that were passed on, so they didn't feel the need to write down all the individual little pieces for that. And so we're going to see some things as we talk about the Passover today. Um, so the question is, why study the Passover as a Christian? Why do we want to study the, the old way of doing things when we're no longer in that time period? Like we, don't, we don't have to follow the rules that the Jews had to follow then, right? We don't have to observe this time period in order for it to be honored. And so, first reason is, is Jesus honored the Passover and celebrated it throughout his life. So that's one good reason to, to study it, right? If Jesus felt it was important to do, then it's probably something that we as Christians should understand what's going on with it. The second thing is understanding the Passover allows us to understand the death and resurrection of Christ a little bit more. And as we go through it, you're going to see it's just intertwined how God is using this process that was in Exodus to show us who Christ is and the love of Christ and how God's plan started all the way in Genesis fulfilling in Christ. The third thing is Passover is a living picture of how salvation is properly obtained. It's a living picture. It's something we can see how God is working in our lives. And then the last one is it allows us to be able to witness to the Jews around us because we understand a little bit of their culture and a little bit of where they're coming from. And it gives us a way to explain to somebody who's not going to go to the New Testament to read God's word, but you can explain who Christ is through an area of the Bible that they will read and they will understand. And you can interpret the picture, complete that picture that they're missing because they don't have Christ. They don't see the Messiah having been born yet. They're still waiting, as we're going to talk about in a little bit. But we can come in alongside them and explain that to them. Uh, one of the things this guy wrote about is he said, it's kind of a sad thing in our churches today. We have no Jews in our Christian churches. Right? We don't reach, a lot of the Christians don't reach out to the Jewish faith for many, many reasons. One, we're kind of afraid of what to tell them. We don't want to offend them, right? And here in Sparks, Oklahoma, I don't know if there's many Jews in the area. But when, we, but when you bring a Jew, when the Jewish, come in, Jewish people come in, they can explain some of the rituals that they learned growing up and kind of complete the picture of those pieces that we miss as Christians in our American lives, right? Um, and so understanding the cultures that we go into. So me and, me and Brandy were talking about this this morning. Like as we go, if we were to go be a missionary in another country, we would have to understand their culture completely to be able to share the gospel with them, right? 
and where we can fill in the gospel into their culture, it's going to make an interaction where we can complete conversations because we understand who they are and we can have that conversation a little bit easier. And so it's a thing that we have to try to do. We have to strive to reach into those other cultures to understand the better picture of what they're saying and they're telling us. And so we have to do the same thing as we read God's word. We have to understand the culture that was written in. And so today we're going to, one of the main four verses we're going to look at, this verse is kind of a, there's the four cups that we're going to talk about through the Passover service. And this, where they get that from is these four, this verse here in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. It says, Therefore I tell the Israelites, I am Yahweh, and I will deliver you from the forced slavery of the Egyptians, and I will free you from slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and acts of great judgment. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. You will know that I am Yahweh your God, who delivered you from the forced labor of the Egyptians. And so the four cups are going to be on the four I wills. I will deliver you, I will free you, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my people. So those are four things God says in that passage. And we talked about this last week, of God's promise of what he's going to do for the, for the Israelite people as they come out. He, he told Moses, I will do this. Now, I might, not I may, it could happen. No, it was I will. And when God says I will do something, it will be done. There's no other option for it. And so, as we go, through, as we go in, we're going to look at the order of Passover. Okay, so what does the Passover service look like? I don't know, if, has anybody in here ever participated in a Passover service? We did a couple of times in, in uh, Louisiana, but we had some, a Messianic Jew that would come and explain the whole process as he was going, as he was walking through it. And it's really an amazing time to sit and listen to how the Jews go through this process and the symbolic meanings of everything. And so we're going to kind of talk about some of the symbolism of what they go through and how that pertains to Christ. So the first thing is in the days leading up to Passover. It's the, the purge of leaven. Okay? Leaven is the, is the part that makes the bread rise. Anything that has bread that's been risen, it's, so you, you bunge, you, you slice bread, right, all that stuff that has leaven in it. It causes it to rise and grow. So leaven in the Bible is symbolic of sin. And so what they do before Passover is they go through their house and they get rid of all leaven, which is symbolism of getting rid of all sin in their lives. And so one of the things they do, and I thought this was kind of cool, the, the father in the household will play a game with his kids. He'll take little pieces of bread and crumbles and he'll step, put them all over the house in different places. And the kids will go and search out the leaven. They will search out. When they find it, they'll, they'll call the dad over here. And he'll come over with a feather and a spoon and he'll take that feather and he'll wipe the bread into the spoon and he'll take it to the fire and he'll throw it in the fire and burn this, the leaven up. So think about that in, in terms of our Christian walk. When in, in 1 Corinthians 3.13 it says, And the fire shall try every man's work and what sort it is. Right? As Jesus tell, as the Bible tells us, To search our heart, O Lord, find any unclean way in us and, and take, it, take it out, right? We as Christians, we're supposed to check ourselves. We're the house. We need to look in, in our lives. Is there any sin that is there? We can't get rid of it ourselves. We don't have the power. So we call our Father. 
Say, Father, come take this part of me that I don't like, that you don't like, that sin, that leaven. Take it and throw it in the fire. And so as the father's playing this game, he doesn't realize he's given this picture to the kids of God coming in and taking the sin from their lives and burning it up so it's no longer a part of them as, he's, as they're clearing out the leaven and purging the sin in their lives. And so for us as Christians, this should be an everyday thing we're constantly walking through. But for them, as they lead up to Passover, they're, they're working getting rid of all the leaven in their lives. Because the day after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and for seven days, they can't have any, any leaven in their bread or in their, in their lives. And so, as I said, in Psalms, uh, well, let me play. In Psalms 139, 23-4, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there are any offensive ways in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Right, so he says in Psalms, search our hearts. Find those offensive ways and get rid of them. That should be our daily prayer as we walk through. And so as we lead to this, this upcoming Holy Week, right? Let's pray that in our lives as we work towards Passover. Passover this year is on Friday. So as we walk through our lives this week, have God search your life. Not the physical food you're eating, but that sin in your life, that pride, that arrogance, those other thoughts that are not godly, that are living in you, that are just maybe a small sin, maybe a big thing. Ask God to take those from you. And so then the second thing to do as the, as the meal gets ready to start, they have the first cup, which is the I will deliver you promise. It's called the cup of sanctification. So before they even start the meal, the father comes and he pours the first cup of wine. And, it's a, and he gives a blessing over and blessing over the table being set. It's the start of God says, I'm going to deliver you. And so they, as, a, as a breathless, it's the beginning of the process. And that's what God has to do with, when he went with the Israelites. He had to first start the process of deliverance. And so this is the time where the Father says, I, we're going to bless this wine. We're going to start this process of the Passover. It's the beginning of it. And so in Christian walk, that's when we get saved. That's the beginning of our walk with Christ. God has cleaned our hearts, washed us new, and we've been sanctified. And so now we get to start the process of walking with him. And so then the next thing they do is before they, this is all before the meal's really even starting. So then there's a part called the hidden bread, which is really cool. So they take, the, the father takes three pieces of unleavened bread. And if you guys have seen matzah bread, it's a, just like a square cracker. Uh, it has like burn marks on it and holes in it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that part in a little bit. But they take these three pieces of bread and they put in a special white linen in three different compartments. And then after he's done that, he takes it and he pulls the middle, middle piece of bread out. He breaks it in half. And he takes and he hides half of it, whether it be in, the, in his chair or in a drawer or something. He hides half of it out of sight. And then he just leaves it there for a little while. And we'll, we'll see what he does with that in a little bit. It's really a great picture here that we'll see in a few minutes. Then... There, then, they have, then they have the youngest child, and every year it's the youngest child. So as kids get older, they each have a chance to, to, do the, to be a part of the Passover meal. 
So the youngest child asked four questions to the whole family. So in, in the entire group, he asked four questions before, after the bread's been broken. The first question is, why on this night, distinguished from all other nights, on this night we only eat unleavened bread? So it's, this is a ritual of, that they answer. So every year they get to hear the same question with the same answers as the father answers the question to this child. And so the answer to this is the unleavened bread symbolizes purity since leaven is sin. Right, so why do they eat unleavened bread? Because leaven is considered sin. It's to purify their hearts. It's to cleanse them. And so every year they get, they get to be told that. Then the second question, on all other nights we eat any kind of herbs, but this night only bitter herbs. Why? And the father answered, bitter herbs remind us of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. So the so they had the bread, the unleavened bread is a sin. The bitter herbs reminds them of that hard time in Egypt, right? It's a, there's they gotta remember that because that's why the Passover was coming about was because of the slavery in Egypt. Then the third question: On all of the nights we do not dip, but tonight we dip twice. Why? And the the author of this book he said there's several different answers that can be his favorite, and I'm gonna give you this because I kind of like it too. It said the first dip symbolizes the Hebrews entering the Red Sea on dry land and the second dip symbolizes the Egyptian army trying to follow them. So they dip it once for the Israelites crossing and then twice for the Egyptians crossing. And so it's no like parsley or something that's kind of a bitter. And so after that second dip, they bite it and eat the parsley. So, so it's kind of a dip once for the Israelites, twice for the Egyptians, and then they eat the Egyptians. That was that's why he likes that, that part, right? Because it's kind of like down the hatch with the Egyptians as that water slams down on them and kills them all. And then the fourth question is, on this night we all recline in our chairs at the table. Why? And the answer to that is, the Jews are no longer slaves, but are free from slavery. So think about it. If you've been a slave your whole life, and now you've come out of slavery, you get to relax, right? So they relax in a different way. They don't sit in a hard chair. They, they have pillows and they kind of relax and they're comfortable because as slaves you can't be comfortable. You work, you eat, you go to bed, right? You have to get up and be slave the next day. Now they're relaxed. They can, they can take their time. They can enjoy the meal that they are set before them because they're no longer slaves. They're free from that. And so every year the youngest child asks those four questions with the same answers from the father. So repetition, as they get older, they, start, they, they remember each one of those things, right? As we were talking this morning, me and, my, me and Brandy, like the Christmas story, how do we all know the Christmas story so well? Because every year we hear the same Christmas story over and over and over. And so after 20, 30, 40 years, you get to have that memorized in your head without even realizing it. You have the story down, and you can tell the story easily. And so that's what these kids do. Every year they hear the same questions, the same answers, and it's a part of their life. And then they do the historical part. They read from Exodus. They tell the whole story. I'm not going to read the entire chapter of Exodus 12, but I want to read part of it for you. So kind of the, the really good part here. Um, and so we'll start in verse 29. And it says, Now at midnight the Lord struck every firstborn male in the land of Egypt from the firstborn Pharaoh who sat on his throne or the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and every firstborn of the livestock 
During the night, Pharaoh got up. He, along with all, all of his officials and all of the Egyptians, there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. He summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites. Go and worship Yahweh as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds as you have asked me and leave, and also bless me. Now the Egyptians pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, We're all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their clothes on their shoulders. The Israelites acted, acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord gave people such favor the Egyptians' sight that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. And so that was a picture of what God redeemed them from. He said, so all the work he had done before, he said, I'm going to send the angel through and wipe it out. And so that was the story that they would, they would tell. They would go more into depth, and they, it's varied by who the father was and how in-depth he wanted to get. But they would hear the story of how they were brought out of Egypt every year on this day. And it's, just, it's cool how, we, how they do the same thing that we do in our lives is we tell how God saved us from our sins. They tell, they tell the story of how God saved them from slavery in Egypt. And their focus was on the lamb. So I didn't read the, read the beginning of it as they went through the process of how they were saved in that. right? And so the, what God said to, told Moses and Aaron, he said, go take a lamb, a perfect lamb, no blemish, no spot. And they'd bring it to the house for four days and they'd watch it make, to, just to see if there was any spots on any anything maybe they had missed. Maybe there was something that they didn't see when they first looked at it. They were constantly watching this lamb. For four days to make sure it was clean. It was supposed to be a one-year-old lamb, which is the like a strong, mature lamb. It was just in its prime, ready to go. And so as we look at Jesus, once he started his ministry, he had four years where he spent. Everybody was watching him, questioning him, asking him all kinds of questions. And at 30, 33 years old, he was in the prime of his life, right? We all know that. Once you hit 35, 36, you, you start feeling the aches and pains of life, right? But at 30, you are strong. You can do anything, right? Mentally, you're, you're all there. You, your brain's fully developed. I mean, it doesn't happen until you're getting close to 30. But then you, all of it comes together about age 30, which is when Jesus started his ministry. Right? For four years, he was watched and questioned and asked to see about any blemishes in his life. He didn't, and they couldn't find any. So much so that when Pilate had him on, on the stage there in front of the people, he said, I find no fault with this man. I find no blemish with this man. And he washed his hands clean of him because he could find no fault to arrest him with. They searched his whole life and could find nothing, just as his lamb here was. So they would take the lamb and they would kill it. And they would pour the... And here at the Passover, before the Passover, they would pour the blood in a bowl, and they would take it with hyssop, and they'd wipe both sides of the doorway, and then the top of it, they would cover it with blood. And on that night, when the angel of vengeance came through, he saw that blood on the doorpost. He passed over those houses. And so it's just that same way with us, because of the blood of Christ when he died, it covers us individually. It's our house is us. He covers our house with blood. 
So when the time comes, it's past, our sins are passed over. We don't get that death that we saw the Egyptians get. We don't get that death, that hell that other people get because they don't, they're not covered with the blood. Their sins are seen and we're covered with blood. It's, it's the blood of Christ, the blood of the Lamb. So that's just, so those, that picture there, you see how we see it there, we see it through Christ, right? The blood on the cross is what covers us. Then we get to the second cup. Or the next part. Oh, the meal. I forgot the meal. No. The second cup. I'll, okay, there's the second cup. I pressed it down one too many times. The second cup is the I will, I will free you cup. And so this is a, this one's really cool. So as, after they've gone through this other stuff, we're still not even to the eating part yet. And so when the second cup comes, the father takes, the, they have their plates out. The father comes with a cup of wine. And he goes to each of them. He pours a drop at a time on each plate. Ten drops, one for each plague. And as he's pouring them out, he's naming the plagues. Blood, frogs, vermin, beast. And so as you're sitting there watching the father go through each plate, he's getting this visualization of the blood spilling out for each one of those from the wine. Just drip, drip. And he's saying, this is what we're, what we're saved from. This is what God redeemed us from, right? He said, this is how he brought us out of it to save us from all these plagues. He brought us out of Egypt through this. And so we as Christians have to, to remind ourselves, what are we saved from? That old lifestyle that we have in our lives. What, what has God saved us from? Or do we remember that on a daily basis? Or do we just know that we're saved and just go on and we never think about what we are truly saved from? Uh, we're saved from the depths of hell. We're saved from the pain and agony of after death. We're saved from the loneliness that comes to being without Christ. See, we're redeemed and we're saved, and we kind of forget that at times. We don't think about it too often, of what God has done in our lives. And so here, before they even start the meal, they go through and they put drops of blood on each plate to remind themselves what God did to get them out of Egypt, what he saved them from each and every year. And then we get to the meal. They, they sit down and they do kind of like a, a Thanksgiving or a Christmas dinner. It's, it's a time of relaxing, a time of fun, a time of fellowship where they're talking to each other. Traditionally, in biblical times, it was, it was lamb. They, they would eat the lamb just as they did in Passover. Now they don't. They eat chicken or beef or some other meat because they would feel it would be disrespectful to eat lamb since the temple's no longer there. Right? So they've changed what they eat on this at this time period. They don't eat lamb anymore. Just be respectful to the because they can't do it at the temple. Um, but it's it's kind of an enjoyment where they talk to each other. So we're before we even start the meal, we're about two hours into this service, right? With all the other preparation and stuff that's worked its way through, and so now after about two hours, they're enjoying each other, right? Because they're no longer slaves anymore. They can have time to relax. It may go from sundown till midnight as they sit there and eat and enjoy each other's company, but they just relax and have fun and they talk to each other. And then, after the meal's over, they have the third cup of wine. I will redeem you, is where that statement comes from. And here they bring out that hidden piece of bread, 
Remember that bread we talked about earlier? That middle piece of the bread? They bring that out and they break it. Now, let me ask you first, I forgot. Um, so they send a child to go find the bread. So wherever the father hid it at, whether it be behind him in the cushion or it be in a table or a desk or something, the child goes and he finds it. And he brings it back to the father and the father redeems it. He gives him some money. He gives him silver, money of something sort, right? To pay for that, pay the price for that bread that was lost, but now it's found. It was hidden, and now it's back in the open. And this is this is to be eaten with the third cup of wine. And so the picture of this is the three pieces of bread that we talked about earlier, they're in that white linen. So in the Christian sense, we can think of it as God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? That middle piece is the Son. It was broken in half and then buried somewhere and then brought back out in the open and redeemed. All right, so that's what Christ did, right? He was broken on the cross, buried in the tomb, and then redeemed back to life. And so just in that picture there, in the breaking of the bread, they are giving a picture of the Messiah that we get to see, the amazing aspect of that. So then the father breaks off a piece from the loaf and he passes it to everyone. So it said they gave off like olive-sized pieces and they pass it around to everybody. So that's kind of where we get our tradition of our Lord's Supper, right? We break up, we have the little crackers, just little small pieces. It's not meant to be a big thing. It's not meant to be fulfilling. But this is after they've eaten the big meal. And so it's a lot, one of the last things they're doing here. And so then the Father blesses the bread and the wine separately. And so we see this in Matthew 26. This is where we do a lot of Lord's Suppers from in the passage here. And this was something that I really, really found cool as I was reading through this, the, the bringing of our cultures together. So Matthew 26, 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat this. Eat it is my body. And so, so Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And so as I've read it from the American culture that we've always read, to bless it is to say a prayer over it, right? But that's not what it would have been in the Passover meal. There was a specific blessing that all the Jews would have known because they grew up hearing it, right? And so they've always heard, they knew the phrase, they didn't need to write the phrase because they knew what that blessing was. So let me read that blessing to you of what Jesus would have said when he blessed the bread. He said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the, from the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. So he said that blessing, and as he passed the I said, Eat this, this is my body. So he said the bread from the universe is his body. He's saying this is something God created. This is something that is amazing. God made me and I am this bread that's going to feed you right now. So then he goes on in, in Matthew 26, 27. He says, and he took the cup. And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. 
For this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many, it is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so let me kind of explain a little bit more of a, a cultural symbols that I did not know until today. And it's really going to create a big picture of the Bible. Um, so marriages back then, I told my wife I wasn't going to cover this, but I changed my mind. So I'll get mad again. But uh, so marriages back then were different than they are today and even different than they are in, in, the, Jew, in the current Jewish culture. So what would happen is a, a guy would decide he wanted to marry a girl, and there'd be a price paid for the girl. They would pay the dowry. And so the son would give, seek advice from his father how much to pay for his bride. The father would help him. They'd, they'd go pay the price. And they would take a drink of the, after they paid the price and, they, and, and got that part going. The marriage was official at that point. They would drink, he would drink a cup of wine as the, to, to bring the covenant together. And at that point, they were married. Then the son would leave and he would go to his father's house and he would start working on a house there. And he would, so he'd leave his bride at her father's house and he would come go back to his father's house and he would build a house for them. And while he was there, while he was there, the bridegroom, the bride would be at her house. She would keep herself pure. She would keep herself clean. She'd wear a veil so no other man would try to make a covenant with her. She was saying, I've been bought with a price. I'm living in my father's house, but I've been bought with a price, and I'm already somebody else's. And so for a year, maybe longer, the husband would be working on that house. And he couldn't go back to get her until his father said, it's good enough. And so whenever somebody would ask him, when is he going to go get his bride? His answer was always, only my father knows the time and the place. And then when the father finally said, it's good enough, go get your bride, him and the groomsmen would go and they, one of the groomsmen would yell out, here comes, the, here comes the groom, and they would grab the bride and snatch her in the dark of night, just out of nowhere, not, nobody knew the time. And the father of the bride may look out the window just to make sure that it was the one who paid the price, but they would take her, and he would take her and take her to the house, and then the celebration would start after that. So now think about what Jesus said for us. So this is my covenant that I drink when he says I'm drinking the covenant right now the marriage is complete I am the I am the bridegroom you are the bride as Christians so at this point when he said that this covenant has been made new and then what does he say he tells the disciples I have to go to my house and build a house for you I'm going to go and I'm going to build it and then, he, then we breathe through revelations, right? And we look farther into the future. Nobody knows the time or the hour that I may come. Jesus, when are you coming back? Only the Father knows. So Jesus was giving a picture of marriage 
that the Jews would have known all about, but we didn't. But in our American eyes, we don't see that. And so when Jesus says, only the Father knows the time or the place, he's referencing that marriage ceremony. He said, I don't know when, but when God says, it's time, I'm going to come get you. I'm going to announce it with the, the trumpet in the sky. And I'm going to snatch you up and I'm going to take you home to be with me forever. And we're going to celebrate. We're going to party. We're going to have fun. And so that, that moment when he, when he drinks the cup, and he said, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant, that establishes the marriage between the bridegroom and the bride. We are together forever at this point. We got to wait till the father says it's fully time, but we are together. You are my bride and I will come back for you. I will snatch you in the middle of the night and take you home to start our lives together. And so when he blessed this cup, he said, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. So after that, then they, there's a fourth cup. And if we go back to Matthew, it says in Matthew 26, 29, immediately following that passage we just read, it says, But I tell you, from this moment I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, until the day when I drink it in a new way, my Father's kingdom with you. Jesus didn't drink this fourth cup during, the, during his Passover celebration. He skipped it. Why? It's the, I will take you as my people. He hasn't snatched us up yet. He hasn't taken us back with him yet, but he's going to. And so, during this time period, the Jews were looking for a fulfillment of Malachi 4.5. It says, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the Jews are, to this day, still waiting for Elijah. So they symbolize this as his fourth cup is coming. The youngest son goes to the door, and he opens it and looks for Elijah. The author of the book said when it was his turn, he would go down the street and look around the corner because there was Gentiles that lived on each side of him and maybe, they, maybe Elijah didn't know where to come. But they look with anticipation as they open that door. Maybe this is the time Elijah's going to come to announce the coming of the Messiah. They missed John the Baptist who was Elijah for them. And so Jesus didn't have to drink this because the Messiah was already there. And so it's at this point the Jews are waiting without hope. Elijah's not going to come knock on their door. Elijah's already came and gone. Jesus is there. Jesus, the Messiah, is sitting there with them at this moment. But they're still waiting. They've missed the, the coming of the Lord. They've missed all the signs. So the great thing is, is we, we know that Jesus is going to come another time. He's going to blow that trumpet and snatch us up in a moment's notice. He's going, and then he's going to be able to drink that cup of redemption with us. And so the Jews... After the child comes in and 
doesn't see Elijah, the father then looks around and says, in a very solemn voice, next year in Jerusalem, next year, next year. And they've been saying that for the last 2,000 years, even though that year already came and passed and they missed it. It's kind of like a, a sports fan that their team isn't very good, but every year, next year will be next year will be the time. Next year we'll win the championship. Every year they say next year Jesus will come. Next year, not just next year, Elijah will be at our door. We'll keep waiting. Maybe next year. And next year just doesn't come for them. Isn't that just a sad picture of? the hope that they have that you know isn't going to be there for them. kind of breaks my heart that we have people in our neighborhoods and in our country and the world that they're looking for it and they're waiting for it and they practice the Passover every year and they just completely miss. Next year already came. So they're living in a life without hope at that point because they're waiting for next year. Then they end by singing psalms. They sing psalms 113 through 118. And let me read 118 for you. So they sing these in days of victory. And so I'd, I'd never heard anybody sing the psalms until a couple summers ago when I was at chaplain school and we had a Jewish rabbi give a sermon, a service. And he sang, he sang the Psalms in Hebrew. And it's, it's amazing because we don't think of Psalms as songs very often. We read it, we memorize it, we talk about it. But as Jews, in their language, it's a song. And there's order to it. And, they're, they're, and it's, it's cool just to listen to them sing and chant it, almost like a chanting motion to it. But so they'll, they'll sing through Psalms 113 through 18 in a loud voice. They, this author said that in his house it was, it was a wonder the cops didn't come because they were so loud in singing it. Because even though they just realized they have no hope, that Elijah's not there, they remember the victory of what God did for them as they wait for another year. And so they finish it with Psalms 118. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let Israel say his, faith, his, his faithful love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his faithful love endures forever. To those who fear the Lord say his love endures forever. I called to the Lord in distress, and the Lord answered me and put me in spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper. Therefore I will look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in nobles. All the nations surround me in the name of Yahweh. I destroyed them. They surrounded me. Yes, they surrounded me in the name of Yahweh. I destroyed them. They surrounded me like bees, and they were extinguished, extinguished like a fire among thorns. In the name of Yahweh, I destroyed them. You pushed me hard to make me fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. There are shouts of joy and victory, and the tents of the righteous in the Lord's right hand performs valiantly. 
The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand performs valiantly. I will not die, but I will live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord disciplined me severely, but did not give me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness for me. I will enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous will enter through it. I will give thanks to you because you have answered me, and I have become my, and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become cor the cornerstone. This came from the Lord. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord hath made, and he rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, save us. Lord, give us, Lord, grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and has given us light. By him the festival sacrifice with cords and the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give you thanks. You are my God, I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. So even after realizing that Elijah is not there, they sing his love endures forever in the midst of not having the hope going forward. We can sing that as Christians in a totally different light, right? We've seen the stone that the builders rejected. We're not looking for that stone. He is Cain, and he is waiting to come snatch us up. He gives us a message to share because he loves us. He cares for us. So as we think going forward this next week, Maybe follow some of this in your life as you go through. We got five days, four days till, pa till the Passover day starts for them. Search your heart. Say, God, search me. See if there's anything in me that offends you. Change it. Take it. Come with that feather and that spoon and take that leaven out of my life that I can honor you that I can be purified as I enter into the Passover time, as we enter into Palm Sunday, as, as the King comes on that day, right? And as we get ready for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in two weeks, as we celebrate those times, as we understand that as we look at the, the Passover, Christ has done something amazing through God, right? God has worked a picture all the way back in Exodus, thousands and thousands of years ago, of what the coming of Christ is going to look like. That middle piece of bread broken and given for us, blessed for our salvation. See, they end with the, the bread and the wine at the end, because that bread's supposed to fill us forever. They don't eat anything else after that. It's that little piece of bread. And that's the end of their food for the night. It symbolizes that that bread fills them forever. Well, the great news is, is when we take Christ as our Savior, we are covered by his blood that fulfills us forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you.